Well, in this series, we've been talking about what it means to have a dynamic, intimate relationship with God. Not one that's rote or that's ritualistic or empty, but one that's life-giving. One that just fuels us every day and one that is deeply, deeply meaningful, constantly growing in our lives. You know, as I've been thinking about this series, you know, you know, the reason we came up with the title for this series is that some people think, well, you're just going to have to be like a monk and go live off on a hillside somewhere to have a relationship with God like that. But what we're finding is any one of us can have a relationship like that with God if we want it. Let me ask you as we start this morning, are there times in your life when you feel like, you know what, Dave, I, I, would, just, I would really love to have a relationship with God like that, but I just don't think it's possible. Maybe, maybe there have been times in your life when you have felt that closeness with God. Something happened in your life, something happened in your relationship with God, and you just felt God, God, felt God so closely, and you were like, God, I never want this to go away. I never want to lose this. And then something happens, right? And it's even hard to put your finger on it, but something happens, and that just over time starts to drift away. Can any of you relate to what I'm talking about? Do you get what I'm saying at all? There, there have been times in my life where my relationship with God has been so close. I think back when I was a teenage boy, and I had given my heart and my life to Christ, and I would get up at like 6 o'clock every morning before I went to school to just read my Bible. I was determined I was going to read my Bible through in a year, and I was going to soak up everything that God had for me. And then I don't even know when it happened, what happened, but it was like, where did that relationship go? You know? I remember when I was in my 20s, and everything kind of changed for me. I went from a place of, not even, of doubting God even existed to having this relationship with God where I was just on fire for God, where everything was, I could hear God so clearly in my life, and I just knew His presence was there. God called me into the ministry in those days. And then two or three years later, I was in ministry, and I was serving God with everything I had, and I was asking myself the question, where's God? Why am I struggling hearing from God? Why does my relationship seem rote in this season of my life? Do you get what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? What causes that distance in our relationship with God sometimes? Because some would look at that and say, well, that just goes to show God doesn't even exist if you're struggling like that. But what causes that distance sometimes between us and God that we feel? Well, last week we talked about desire, right? And what we, one of the things we realized from the life of Benedict is that it all starts with desire. God doesn't force himself upon us at any point. He is always there. He wants to have this relationship with us. He says in Scripture, I long to have this relationship with you. Sin broke that relationship. God made, God made a way with Jesus to make sure that relationship could happen to the depth that we want it if we want it. But God says, you know what? I'm leaving this up to you. If you want to pursue this relationship with me, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. God showed us last week through the scriptures that it all starts with desire. And sometimes, maybe if we're honest with ourselves, maybe sometimes the reason we struggle in our relationship with God is because our desire has kind of fallen by the wayside. Other things have taken our time, our attention, our, our heart. We also saw from the life of Benedict last week how important stability and consistency is in our relationship with God, that we had this rhythm throughout, throughout our day where God is a part of everything. He's not just segmented on one little part of our day, this little 15-minute block where it's like, okay, now's my God time. 
but that he's woven into the fabric of every part of our day and we invite him into our lives. You know, as I've thought about this question more and more over the last few weeks, I think there's some other reasons why we sometimes struggle with our relationship with God and having that closeness. Sometimes I think it's just our physical and our emotional state. Sometimes we're just emotionally drained. We're, we're burned out or we're dealing with anxiety or depression or bitterness. And those things can start creating distances between us and God that where we're pulling ourselves away and we don't even realize we're doing it. Sometimes, as I've realized in my own life, just the pace of life, we can get so busy, so wrapped up in ourselves and our own lives and all the things that we have to do that we just kind of leave God behind. And God's waiting for us to come back to Him. But there's another reason that I've discovered that I want to share with you this week. An entirely different reason why I think sometimes we struggle in our relationship with God and this one's hard for me to talk about. Of all the things I'm going to be sharing with you in this series, this, this one thing and this person that I'm going to be talking to you about from the history of the Christian church, I, I struggled with him all summer <laughs> because of what God was saying to me through this. And maybe you'll find yourself in this same place too. But it has to do with a guy. The, the story I want to share with you is about a guy who lived in Italy back in the 12th century. A man who had this passionate walk with God. Maybe you've heard of him. His name was Francis of Assisi. Now, Francis is often depicted as this grim, somber-looking individual. Kind of like Jesus is sometimes in some of these paintings or frescoes we see of Jesus. What what is that? I mean, when I see Jesus with this grim look on his face, I'm like, that's not the Jesus I know. And when you come to know a little bit about Francis of Assisi, what you'll find is that's not Francis of Assisi either. In fact, this little picture here in the corner is one, uh, it's a mural that was painted on, the wall, a, painted on the walls of the Franciscan Renewal Center in Scottsdale. This is the best image I have seen of Francis, one who was smiling, one who was full of life. Because as you learned a little bit about Francis's story this morning, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. But before I get into that story with you this morning, I want to unpack for you a scripture that would kind of set the stage for where we're going to go this morning. To kind of explain to you what Francis can teach us about a passionate life with God. And it comes from Psalm chapter 119. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. Now if you don't, I'll put it up on the screen. You can also go to MyGrace.Church and you can follow along in the online sermon notes there. But I'm going to read to you just the first few verses of this really long chapter in Psalm 119. And I think this, just these few verses will set the stage for what we're looking at this morning. Listen to these words and listen with them with your heart. Psalm 119. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all of their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. Notice in verse 2 the words that are used there. Joyful are those who obey and a desire, have a desire for God, who search for God with all of their hearts. Verse 3, those who don't compromise. 
Look, let's continue reading. Look at verse 7. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please, Lord, don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you hear these words, what does this say to you about having a dynamic relationship with God? Two things jump off the page at me. One is joy, and two is radical obedience, right? Look at, look at verse 10. The psalmist says, I tried hard to find you. God, I had this desire to be with you. And in verse 7, as I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. This psalmist has come to recognize that he can have true, deep, lasting joy in life and a deep, passionate relationship with God. And it comes in part from this radical obedience, from saying yes to God, no matter what he asks of us, no matter how uncomfortable the the ask is, when God speaks, we say yes. We say yes. What we're going to see this morning is knowing and living in the will of God is the source of lasting and contagious joy in life. I'm going to say that again. Knowing and living in the will of God is the source of lasting and contagious joy in life. The more obedient we are to the will of God in our lives, the more just pure joy we're going to experience in this life as a result. And the more that we're going to be want to be close to God. Look a little bit further, actually, in verses 35 through 37. Listen to this. The psalmist continues and he says, Make me walk along the path of your commands. For that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. In verse 60, it says, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. Now, if there are any verses in Scripture that kind of speak to the life of this man, Francis of Assisi, it's these words right here. I will hurry without delay and obey your commands. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. So let me tell you a little bit about this man, Francis of Assisi, to kind of help paint a picture for you of what God's saying to us this morning. I learned a lot about him on my sabbatical in Italy, spending time in places where he had lived and ministered. But this is basically his story. Francis of Assisi was born a guy by the name of Francis Bernadoni about 800 years ago in this little village in Italy known as Assisi. Now, his father was a wealthy cloth merchant. Back in those days, cloth merchants made a lot of money. And his mom was a very devout Christian woman. So Francis grew up as a young boy, and he just he had every luxury that his heart could desire in his life. Now, Francis of Assisi, according to history, was also a bit of a prankster. He was constantly getting in trouble, doing practical jokes with people in town, old ladies and old guys. He would do things to kind of, you know, shock them and surprise them. And he was kind of known throughout the village of Assisi as somebody who was just constantly causing trouble. But the one thing that is also written about him is that even though he did that a lot, he was constantly meddling and getting into trouble. He had this tender heart, and he had a good heart. 
Now, something happened in Francis' life when he became a young man. We don't know the full story, but we know a part of it. We know that when he was a young man, he was called off to war to fight for his village in this neighboring area called Perugia. And the battle was fierce. He wasn't much of a fighter. He wasn't much of 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 a soldier. He was actually captured by the enemy's side, and he was locked up for a long, long time. We don't know a whole lot about this time in his life, but what we do know is that when he came back, when he was finally released from prison, his life looked completely different. Everyone in Assisi is like, what is up with Francis? What happened to him? He must have gone through some kind of a trauma because he came back so on fire for God, people just didn't get it. The guy who was always cutting up, always making jokes, always enjoying life, always having fun, had this depth and seriousness to him. And he would say, "I I don't want anything else in my life anymore other than to just passionately follow Christ for the rest of my life. That was the way he lived. And people thought, oh, it'll wear off over time. He just probably is shell-shocked. It it didn't wear off. Francis read in Scripture, he was was taught that when Jesus approached the rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, sell everything that you have, give it away to the poor, and follow me, right? And you'll find joy in life and you'll find riches in heaven. And so Francis says, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. So he starts giving away everything that he has, and I mean everything. He runs out of his stuff, so he starts giving away his dad's stuff. His dad and he start having some intense fellowship in the Bernardoni household pretty soon. This tiff gets worse and worse. It gets so bad that people in the village start knowing what's going on in their household. Francis' dad, Pietro Bernardoni, actually, this is how his dad decides to resolve this dispute. He goes to the local church bishop, the guy who is over in charge of all the churches in the region of Assisi, and he says, will you come over to mediate between me and my son? Will you basically straighten him out? And so in the town square, as it's told, Francis and his dad meet with the local church bishop, and the bishop listens to these two share their case for why Francis should be able to live the way God's called him to live. The local church bishop eventually looks at Francis and says, you know what, Francis, I love the passion and all this you have for God, but basically this isn't your stuff. This is your dad's stuff, so you need to to back off. You know what Francis does? He takes off all of his nice robes, all the things that, the necklaces, all the things that his dad had given him, even his nice underwear that he was wearing, he's staying there buck naked in front of the bishop and his dad, and he says, here, dad, this is yours. I'm no longer a son of Pietro Bernardoni. I'm a child of the king. And it says he joyfully ran away, praising God through Assisi. He decides, I'm going to live a life that doesn't play with following God. I'm going to give it all to God. So he starts serving the poor. He, fi- he runs into a leper who totally rocks his world. And he realizes God's calling him to love that leper. And he starts ministering to lepers. He starts living this life of deep prayer. And one day he finds himself in this uh, nearby village. And he, he sees this church that's lying in ruins. It's called the Church of San Damiano. It's just basically kind of fallen in, the, the roof's fallen in, the altar is still there, and as he walks in and he, see, he sees this altar, he looks up and he sees a cross hanging above the altar. A cross that looks just like this. And he starts praying before that cross and asking Jesus, what would you have me to do in this life? 
And these are the words of history. It says that Francis saw Jesus actually speak to him as he was hanging on this cross. It says his lips actually started moving as he talked to Francis. And Jesus looked at Francis on the cross and said, Francis, I want you to rebuild my church, which is lying in ruins. Francis is shocked. He's dumbfounded by what he's seeing. Francis says it happens three times. As he's looking at the cross of Jesus, the face of Jesus moves, his lip moves, and Jesus says, go and rebuild my church. It's lying in ruins. Now, at the time, he just figured, he look, he's looking around. He's like, well, he must mean this because this is a mess. So he starts going into town and asking, begging for money so that he can buy the, get the supplies needed to build, rebuild this church. And he's doing it joyfully. And he's obviously ga- gathering attention, right? Everybody's looking at c- coming over to this area. It's like, what is up with Francis now? What is he doing now? And so people start kind of hanging around. People start giving him what he needs so that he can keep him going with whatever this is that he's doing. Eventually he starts having young men who are really interested in, what, in this relationship with God that he has. And they want to kind of hang around and help him build this church. He forms in time what he calls his band of little brothers which become known as the Franciscans to this day. People who were following radically this idea of just obeying God no matter what he says and living a life of poverty, giving away everything that uh, Christ asked us to give away in order to follow him. What we see in Francis' life was when Jesus called him, he said yes. He didn't say, yeah, but. He didn't say, Great idea, God. Let's wait and pray on that one. He said yes. Now, if I'd have been Francis in that church that day, I probably would not have responded the way he did. I probably would have gone back and said, hmm, this is a matter of prayer. I need to spend some time thinking about this. I need to get some wisely godly counsel, right? I need to make sure I'm making the right decisions here. Well, Francis is like, no. God spoke. He made it clear. I don't think he could have made it any clearer. This is what I'm to do. And he served God every day with crazy joy. Joy that he said was found in being radically obedient to God, no matter what God asked of him. He started rebuilding other churches over time. In fact, Teresa and Isaac and I were actually able to go in one of them. It's called the Porta Nucola. It's actually a small church, and actually a big cathedral has been built around this church it was built, rebuilt by Francis and his band of brothers so many hundreds of years ago to protect it. It was amazing to walk in there and to smell the smells, you know, from hundreds of years ago and to think he rebuilt this little building stone by stone, singing songs of joy, as history records. Today, there are thousands of Franciscan friars, men and women, who live the, out these same vows, these vows of poverty, to to care for people radically and to care for all of creation, as Francis did, and to fight for social justice. They deeply value being fully obedient to God and doing so without hesitation. In fact, there's this one young Franciscan guy, he's in his late 20s, who has a YouTube channel here now. And I I want to encourage you, when you get home, go on to MyGrace.Church. You've got to watch some of these guys' videos. I mean, it will just... Just trust me. In fact, I gave you a couple in your online sermon notes to watch. This guy will just amaze you. It was you kind of listen to him and how God is stirring in his life. But again, his his link to his YouTube channel is in mygrace.church. Francis 
loved God, and he loved life. Francis said this came from simple and radical obedience. When God speaks, you say yes. In fact, Francis said this at one point in his life. He said, holy obedience confounds all the desires of the flesh and keeps the body mortified to the obedience, the, the obedience of the spirit and the obedience of one's brother. Well, we might think radical obedience like that brings just the opposite, right? That it'll bring pain, that it'll bring misery. <laughs> Francis said, no, it brings just the opposite. It brings pure joy. Francis lived out the words of Psalm 19, 119, and he proved it to the world around him in his day. Today, Franciscans take this vow of obedience to selflessly help all those that they find around them and to follow authority unreservedly and without question. In fact, there's a Franciscan website that I found in Singapore, and these were some of the words on their page. It says, in a world that values independence and personal determination, obedience has become an unfashionable word. We want to make decisions about our own lives. Yet when Franciscans vow to live the gospel life, it is, the, it is obedience that has priority. And then they said, obedience, according to Francis, is the key to holiness. Instead of self-righteousness and self-centeredness, true obedience is about genuine self-giving. It is such a life of mutual and respect and charity that unites us with the obedience of Christ, the will of the Father, and the spirit of love. Now, we're not Franciscans, right? God's not calling any of us, at least I don't think so, to put on a, a brown habit with the rope, you know, and start living these, this radical call to obedience as the Franciscans do today. So what does it look like for you and me and the world that we're living in to experience a life of radical obedience? I think if Francis were here today, he would go back to these words of Scripture in Psalm 119 and he would point to two simple things. And the first one is this, saying yes to God whenever he speaks, even when it gets hard. It means fighting for those who are less fortunate and suffering from injustice. It's not saying, yeah, God, that's a great idea. Let's think about that one. It's saying yes, yes, yes. I experienced this in a real moving way when I was in Europe through the life of my son, who's getting ready to turn 16 this week. I was wondering if this sabbatical was going to mean anything to him, as I felt like it probably was going to for me. And then I saw God working in his life in a beautiful way. And here's how God was working. Every time he saw someone who was homeless, someone who was poor, someone who was struggling, he wanted to do something about it. He could not stop himself. I was constantly feeling this tug on my shirt. Hey, Dad, can you give me some euros? Hey, Dad, can we, can we slip in here and buy some flip-flops? I might run into some people who are going to need them. Dad, can we buy some baseball caps? That was one of them. Can we buy some baseball caps? Because we might run into some people who are going to need them. Hey, Dad, can we buy some water bottles? I'll put them in my backpack. I'll carry them around in case we see somebody who needs them. Honestly, there were times I'm thinking, dude, how much can you drain my wallet? I was constantly, every single day, and there were places in Europe, especially in Italy, where we were running into homeless people all day long. I'm like, guys, can we do something else? I mean, we have some, I'm, the task orientation means like, we have things to see, and he's constantly stopping me. Hey, Dad, someone needs our help. 
even at one time when he saw that he had been taken advantage of. Because after he had helped this person, he came back later and saw that it was all a ruse. It didn't stop him. It didn't slow him down. He heard God calling him to help those who were less fortunate. And I mean everyone who was less fortunate. And to say yes. God was moving in him. And it touched me as well. His passion to love those who are less fortunate, started touching the pastor's heart as well. It was contagious. There was one point we were in Spain, and it was the day I was going to start hiking the Camino. It was the first day. I was so excited. I had all these ideas in mind of how the three of us were going to enjoy it. My wife, she was going to enjoy walking with me for at least the first couple of miles, and I made, did everything I could to try to make it easy for her and for Isaac. And we start uh, just over the border of Spain in a little village in France, and we walk across the bridge into Spain, and then we probably hadn't walked more than a half a mile, and we run into another homeless person on the park bench. And I see him, and I'm like, hey, Isaac, do you have any more flip-flops in your backpack? You wanna? And he's already go- going through and grabbing stuff. We sit down, and we talk to this guy, and I'm thinking this conversation is going to last maybe you know, a minute, two minutes, and then we've got to move on. We've got a hike, some hiking to do. And the conversation goes on and on and on for like 20 minutes. After a while, I'm getting antsy. I'm like, guys, come on, let's go. But this guy's pouring out his heart to Isaac and Teresa in Spanish. They're totally getting what he's saying. I'm only getting a few words. And they're just there. They're present with him. And I realized how sometimes our task orientation can cause us to miss those precious moments with God. The face of Jesus, sometimes in those who are struggling. I also remember the last day we were together. uh, We were actually leaving Naples on a train station, going to Rome for them to catch a flight home. We were in this train station in Naples, and guess who we saw? Another homeless person, right there in front of the doors. I mean, this guy, he 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 was really struggling. He didn't, he barely even had any clothes around his waist. Dirty, skinny, could see the bones, the ribs, everything. Just there sleeping, trying to pass the time. This one touched us the most. And we realized we didn't really have anything else to give away. God touches Isaac's heart and says, open up your suitcase. And it no longer was dad's money that was funding it. It was the clothes that he loved so much. But yet in that moment, he heard God speak, and he said yes. What are you avoiding today? Where is God speaking in your life, calling you to say yes? And you're saying, great idea, God. Let's talk about that one later. God, you you see what my life looks like right now. Why don't we talk about this in five years? What is God calling you to say yes to today? that everything in you is wanting to say no. That's the first thing Francis would say to us this morning, saying yes without hesitation. And the second one, the other one I want to share with you this morning is this. Accepting my sinful nature, but refusing to entertain sinful thoughts, behaviors, and lifestyles in my life. In other words, recognizing, yes, I am a sinful person. Yes, I am going to sin at times in my life. I'm going to break God's heart, but... With everything in me, I am going to do everything in my power to not entertain those behaviors in my life, but to eradicate them 
to make sure they never have a place in my life as much as I can. You know, it's incredible, really, that even this desire to have a relationship with God, it doesn't come from us. It is birthed from God. God desires this deep relationship with us that was broken by sin. And as I said, this, the reason Jesus came to this earth was so that he could, God could restore that relationship that sin disrupted. But yet, Scripture says that God hates sin. He's holy, and he says, don't downplay those things in your life. Yet so oftentimes I see Christians, and I've been guilty of this at times in my life as, as well, where we say, God, you know, I did it again. Oops, I shouldn't have done that. God, forgive me. <laughs> and then we kind of move on. True repentance, Scripture says, doesn't mean just saying, oh, sorry, God, my bad. Oops. It means saying, God, I hate this about me. I do not want this to stay in my life. God, how can we work together to get rid of this in my life once and for all? Not just for the next day or two until I do it again, but God, how can I partner with you to eradicate all these things in my life that break your heart? Ongoing sinful relationships, uh, an ongoing, ongoing sin in our lives can disrupt our relationships with God. Not because God's running from us, but because we're hiding from God in those moments, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. As soon as they broke God's heart, the first thing they went to do was hide, right? And we hide from God constantly when we break God's heart. And God says, I don't want this separating you and me. God calls us to take our sin seriously, to address it fully and completely, and to remove it so that our relationship is not hindered one bit by it. Last week, we talked about what it means to abide or to remain with God over time. 1 John chapter 3 says it comes from addressing these things in our lives. We aren't to expect perfection in our lives, but as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said he recognized all these sins that was in his life and his past and even the ways he struggled some in his present. But he said, yet even still, I press on. I press on to live this life of holiness and perfection because he said, Jesus possesses me. And I want this in my life. I want a life freed from the weight and the consequences of sin. How many of us could say this morning that we truly want something like that in our lives? How many of us would truly say we so detest those sins in our lives that keep cropping back up, that we are just, we just had this determination to do something about eliminating from our lives once and for all. Over the summer, God showed me a lot about my own interior life. There, there were two places in particular in my life where I have struggled in my relationship with God, where I have fallen short many, many times. You probably want to know what they are. I'm not going to tell you. But just trust me, I have struggled with these two areas of my life for years. And God showed me this summer as I watched the Franciscans, as I learned the story of Francis of Assisi, I realized God was saying, David, do you know every time we bring this up, you minimize it? Every time I, I point this out to you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't do that, God. I won't let that happen again. And then you completely forget about the conversation until I bring it up again. I remember God saying to me in that moment, Dave, what would it look like if we just spent some time dealing with this once and for all? What if you and I just root these two things out of your life 
once and for all. What do you, what do you think? That's hard. Let's not kid ourselves. Radical obedience is not easy. It's not for the wimpy or for the weak of heart. It takes boldness and courage and faith to step out, to be inconvenienced and to do something radical for God. Or to radically address these things in our lives where God is shining the light on us and we recognize that there's sin there that God wants us to deal with. That's why so many of us in this life, we just don't deal with it. And we live a life of mediocrity, spiritually. Radical obedience living requires us to have a brave heart, determined perseverance, and a soul that is entirely focused on the Lord. But when we choose to live every day the way God designed us to live, let me tell you something. When we do that, we discover that our lives aren't more stressful, but that they're less stressful, and they're full of joy. And they're finally set free. The Bible says this over and over again. We see it in Psalm 112. We see it in Proverbs 16. When we give ourselves radically to God, when we say, God, whatever you say, I am going to say yes. It's in those times in our lives that we have this relationship with God that's closer than we could have ever imagined possible. There's no doubt about it. Knowing and living in the will of God is the source of lasting and contagious joy in this life. Contagious joy in that it affects even those who are around us, very much like it did the people who were around Francis of Assisi in his day. So what about you? Is it time for you in your life to to say yes? to to take off something that you have continued to put on that God has asked you to take out of your life once and for all? Do you feel this tug in your heart this morning where Jesus is saying, I want you to listen to me in this area of your life? What are you going to do? Are you going to quickly stick those thoughts in a box and close them quickly before it gets any louder? Will you distract yourself with the, temp- with the distractions of the world around you? Or will you enter into that moment very much like Francis did in that prison cell as a young boy, a young man in prison? And will you say yes? I'm not living my life anymore for me. God, I've given my life to you. So from this moment forward, the answer is yes. Let me tell you something. You start doing that in your life, and I promise you, you think sometimes your life might be dry and rote with God? It won't be for very long. It will come on fire for God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am wearing this little bracelet today on my arm with the word of words of St. Francis on it to remind myself of this painful truth because everything in me, even as I give uh, even as I stand up here and give this message is if I can feel the pull in my heart those areas of my life where you continue to chase me and I'm learning now to say yes even when it's painful God, I know that I'm not alone in this fight. I know that every person in this room 
if we're really honest with ourselves, we're in the same place. And for those who are listening online, God, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would come to a place in our lives where we have such a desire to know you that we will say yes to you no matter how much time it takes out of our schedule, no matter how much money it drains out of our checkbook, no matter how painful it is deep down in our soul. Lord, help us to come to that place where we say yes without hesitation. Lord, I recognize there are some in this room who are struggling deeply with this, God, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present on them right now, that you would give them a sense of peace, of confidence, of courage, and joy, knowing that they can trust you and trust you fully in this walk. If you're here today and you have never said yes to Jesus, maybe even the idea of saying yes to him and following him just the, even the concept of that is something that's foreign to you. You'd say, Dave, I've never been willing to say yes to God because I'm afraid of what he's going to say. Or I've never said yes to God because, Dave, I've got all these questions and I'm not sure I believe in all these things that you're teaching from the Bible. And You know what? <laughs> that's fine. Even still, what would it look like for you to test this whole theory out about God and just to say, God, I am going to choose in this moment to see if you're real. I'm going to surrender my heart and my life to you. I'm going to say yes to you without hesitation and see how real you truly are. I'd encourage you today to give God a try in that area. If, you're, if you have doubts, give that a shot and see what happens in your life. Might disrupt people around you. Might rock your world. But I guarantee you, you will find God there. So if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I just want to say yes. Even though I have doubts in my mind, God, I say yes. Even though I'm struggling right now with what it would mean to be obedient to you, God, I say yes. I trust you. With what little faith I have, God, that mustard seed of faith, I'm saying yes to you today. And God, I ask that as I say yes, that you will say yes to me and that you will see my heart, that I want to have a relationship with you that's real, that's not rote or ritualistic or less than genuine. And God, I ask that you change my world, rock my world for you. In Jesus' name.